It's a huge honor to have Jazz Call Sleep Coach on the podcast today. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this one because I spent four years sleep deprived and high on coffee um, trying to get through that period of my life. So uh, I've got a lot to learn from Jazz and I'm, as I'm sure everyone else does. Before we go any further, please smash the thumbs up button and also comment and share this post with anyone who you think can benefit so that we can get this information out to as many people as possible and help as many people as possible. So, uh, Benji, can you start with telling us a little bit about yourself? So me, I am a mum of three. Um, I have Dea Singh, who's six. I have a C-score, who's four. And my youngest is Sahib Singh, who is two years old. Um, now... I've always wanted to start my business. I've never known what I wanted to go into. Um, and I guess it was over lockdown. One day I was just, this is something's not right. Why is none of my children sleeping through the night? Why are they still waking up? Um, I keep getting told that they should be sleeping like this way or that way. And it was just never, it was never three times. Surely I can't get it wrong three times. And I guess I just started researching, like I'm a biology geek. Um, my degree's in human biology with psychology. So <clears throat> I guess I started to research into what normal biology sleep was. And it turned out that my children were actually sleeping perfectly normally um, and as they should at their age. And that's what kind of got me into sleep coaching. Um, I did I did a lot of research, actually read quite a lot of books. <laughs> um, and then I just thought, this is probably something that I'm a bit too passionate about. Um, started helping family, friends, and there you are. Um, I came into sleep coaching. Um, before that, I worked um, in the NHS, doing some project work behind the scenes of hospitals, CCGs. Um, still doing a little bit of that here and there um, at the moment, and um, trying to balance out life, I guess, with three kids in a business as well. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. I, I think women are super women, how they manage. I was talking to Darshko today about how um, women have to do a lot. They have to, you know, they, they have kids, they have to manage the kids, they have to give birth, they have to, you know, the responsibilities are different to what they were kind of 50, 50 years ago. Um, so it's incredible yeah. um, the amount of resilience they have. Uh, in terms of um, the Scottish system, is it different, the NHS? Oh yeah, it's quite different. I mean, I didn't do any NHS work while I was in Scotland. All of that was in the last um, six to eight years while I've been here in England. And how's that transition been from going from like the, the worser part of the country to the better part? Yeah. <laughs> I will always be Scottish at heart, always. <laughs> I'm just teasing you. Definitely less the best part of the country behind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How, how has that transition been? Because that that can't be easy going um, all the yeah. way from Scotland to England. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie and say it's been easy. You know, um, it has been quite difficult. I've been lucky that I've got my older sister who lives in Gravesend, <clears throat> so she's not too far away. But I think when it comes to um, marriage and starting a family, whether or not you are near your family or far, it's still hard. You know, um, mm. I mean, my husband's absolutely amazing. My mum's absolutely amazing with the support that I get. But it's still hard, you know, and a lot of the times it's just about understanding actually parenting is difficult. It's not that we're doing anything wrong. <laughs> it's not that there's something wrong with our kids. It's just it's difficult. And sometimes we just need to accept that um, and remove that pressure. There's a lot of pressure on mums now, actually, um, whether it's work, whether it's 
are you parenting correctly? You should be feeding this way, you should be feeding that way. <laughs> um, it's just so mm -hmm. much pressure left, right and centre. And I think that's what makes it difficult more than um, whether or not you've got... I mean, it's a big thing having family nearby. Of course, it's helpful. But I do feel for a lot of us who don't have the village, um, it's about kind of removing removing the pressure and lowering your expectations, especially when it comes to sleep. Yeah, with with Bhagat, we with my eldest, we really struggled because um, Dashko's a, a doctor and she's very analytical and and it used to be much more so. So she kind of had this this belief, which is self affirmed through her whole life, which is if I work hard at something, I can be good at it. So she kind of read all the books and um, did all the research, and then she thought. My son's going to go sleep at this time, he's going to wake up at this time, we're going to do this, we're going to feed him at this time. And when he was born, it was just completely, it was just complete chaos. And um, I remember once she was trying to sleep train him and she tried cry out and I went to work and I came home and she was crying on the sofa. And I said, I thought the baby was meant to cry out and not you. Um, and she was like, I can't do this. So yeah, we, and then with Jup, we, we, we just kind of, let go of expectations and the second one was a lot easier. Yeah, I mean, and it's not just parenting, is it? <laughs> it's relationships, it's everything. Um, and I think when it comes to sleep training, I mean, the sleep training industry is huge. Um, it's so huge and it's, it's the pressure as well to sleep train. And sometimes you're in that moment where you're thinking, there's nothing else I can physically do for my child right now. <laughs> so I'm just going to leave them to cry, you know? And I think, um, and then afterwards, I get a lot of moms saying, like they've just got so much guilt for doing it whether or not it worked they still have that guilt um <clears throat> and i think it's important to understand that actually um you don't you don't need to go down that route if you don't feel it's right for you um for some parents it works for some um, and again it depends on what you mean by works <laughs> you know um and i think yeah i mean we could talk a lot about sleep training i don't know if it's one route you want to take <laughs> The, the, that is worth diving into because the people who probably have an interest in this are people who are going to have kids or who have young kids and who are struggling with um, getting their kids to sleep. And there are, I was on Instagram the other day and there was a mum who I'm friends with and she was doing a live and she was saying how she she did cry out and, you know, it was all the pros for cry out and we, we didn't do that. And... Um, we went we went down the co-sleeping route and just listening to her made me feel like we had got it all wrong and i think whichever personally obviously i don't really know anything about this but i think whichever system you go down you just got to do what's right for you as opposed to your child has to fit into this this mold or needs to be like this and needs to go sleep at this time and has to sleep for eight hours continuous yeah i'm with you and i think um, it depends on <clears throat> it depends on the child. Some babies um, some babies can fall asleep at seven o'clock and wake up at seven o'clock in the morning um, and have that twelve hour stretch. But it's not the reality for a majority of babies. Yeah, I hate I um, hate those babies. <laughs> they do exist. Dashko used to tell me this child them. goes. This child's mum says he goes to sleep by himself at seven <laughs> o'clock and wakes up like three days later. <laughs> used to be very jealous. <laughs> yeah, and I think. Um, and it's about us parents knowing that it's okay to support your little one to sleep. It's completely normal. Babies and toddlers are just biologically hardwired to be near us. So when we try and separate them, actually, it's hard because it's it's biology that we're trying to change. And it's not easy to change biology. And it's 
not going to catch up with society anytime soon. Whereas, on the other hand, we've got society telling us that actually your baby should be independent by now. Um, and it's a shame because we are, we've got a lot of first time parents and we're trying to do what's best for our, for our children. But mm. actually, um, all these things that are thrown at us doesn't really fit in to what we feel is right most of the time. But we mm. do it, we feel pressurized to do it because everyone else is doing it. Um, mm. So whether that's co-sleeping, whether that's um, sleep training, whether it's supporting your little one to sleep, it's just if it works for you and you don't mind feeding your child to sleep or you don't mind walking them to sleep and you're enjoying it, then continue. But if it gets to a point where you're getting mentally stressed out or if you are um, wanting your husband to be able to put your little one to sleep but you still want to continue breastfeeding, all of these things are still, you can still do that without having to sleep train or without having to stop breastfeeding, for example, if it's um, feeding to sleep. And it's just about... I think it's about allowing parents to be informed of their choices rather than telling them what to do. That makes a lot of sense. And I, I like your approach a lot because it's not just prescriptive and trying to fit a child into a model. It's figuring out what works for that dynamic of child and parent. It's because mums may need yeah. to go to work and they may not be able to... Um, you know, to, to wake up multiple yeah. times at night and they, they may need to put systems in yeah. place so that they can get a decent rest. And um, <clears throat> So in terms of your three, were they very different? Yeah, um, my first was just very, he was up every two hours on the dot um, and that included <clears throat> nappy changing in between, um, feeding him and then he was up in the second hour and I had just barely got back to sleep. It was really, really, really difficult. And I was lucky, my husband was so good with the nappy changing, um, so I could sleep that longer stretch. <clears throat> and obviously things changed um, with my second one. Um, she was a little bit easier actually. Um, my husband was like, no, you can do this one by yourself. <laughs> I don't blame him because he had, um, he had work and everything as well. So um, with the second one overnight, um, she was a little bit less, we were still co-sleeping, I co-slept um, with all three of my children. Um, but for my second one, she wasn't waking up every two hours. It must have been every three, three and a half hours. Um, her personality was completely different. And I guess it was like relearning motherhood again. <laughs> and I think that's also important for moms because sometimes when you're having your second baby, you think you know it all. I mean, I've had my third now and I, I learned so much with my thirds. I actually amazed myself. Um, Wow. And again, when you have each child, you learn a lot about um, the different kind of sleepy cues, for example. <laughs> One of them would, um, my eldest would, he, his sleepy cues were very kind of obvious and I was able to put him to sleep in time. Whereas my second, it was just from zero to, that was it, she was crying and much harder yeah, to settle. My son was um, and my, my advice here for parents would be, for every child that you have, or even if it's a different development phase, sometimes the sleepy cues change. And it's about learning, um, especially in those four, first four months, is learning about what the sleepy cues are. Um, and we have this kind of filter that, oh my goodness, they're crying now, they must be tired, let's put them to sleep. And then you're there rocking them to sleep half an hour later. And actually, they clearly weren't sleepy, it was mm. something else. And it's just about learning mm. um, what the other cue was. Are they bored? Are they overly stimulated? Um, is it not enough stimulation? Did they just want to change the scenery? Is the music too loud? Uh, it could be so many different things, but we just think it's always sleep. <laughs> but mm. um, the mums that I work with, actually, a lot of the time, um, our consultations are about things other than sleep. 
to improve the sleep. Um, there's just there's so much that goes on in a little Wednesday that you need to be more aware of um, rather than kind of sticking straight to I must be doing something wrong. Whereas it's it's nothing wrong. It's just about being more aware and more in line and more in tune with your baby um, rather than an app or what the book said or what the auntie's saying, you know, or what the new magazine is saying. It's a lot of the time we look for answers outside and actually it's just looking deep in, thinking what we think's wrong with the little one, um, looking at them, learning from them as well. Yeah, that's really insightful. Yeah. Um, on the on the point of auntie, I, w- I went to the Goodall the other day and this, there was this elderly auntie there drinking tea and she goes to me, Tere nyane ke ne el tia. And um, no, she said no tea. She said, Tere nyane ke ne no tia. And I didn't say anything to her. Um, obviously, I wouldn't say anything to an elderly person, but th- there is that pressure. And after, there were loads of kids playing in the Goodall, but after that, I told my kids that they're not allowed to play. They just have to sit there. And um, it's, it's weird because if they're at home, I would just let them play with other kids. But there is, how do you deal with if you've got in-laws at home and if you've got auntie and people visiting and there's that pressure of, you know, your kids should be seen and not heard and that kind of stuff. Do you come across that? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, All the time, actually. Um, Recently at Gurborg, someone had said, And I was just like, well, it's 10 of them. It's not only my three, (laughs) you know. Um, But when it comes to the Gurdwara, I strongly feel that actually there's more reason to take your child to the Gurdwara than not take them. Um, And we in Bedford, we've, um, and I know Katie Sunkin is across um, the UK, actually it's across the world, isn't it, Katie Sunkin? And we started Katie Sunkin on a Friday morning for mums (laughs) like me (laughs) and dads, actually dads were welcome as well, to come along and help them get used to the Gurdwara environment with the auntie, with the children, with the babies getting used to being at the Gurdwara at a time when it wasn't as busy. Mm. Um, and I think that's so important to expose your children to the Gurdwara. With auntie, on the other hand, how would you deal with them? And I guess it's just explaining to them, auntie, I'm trying um, to come to the Gurdwara. They will get used to it. Um, and that shouldn't really let the auntie put you off coming to the Gurdwara. And I mean, it's different if your child is running across the front of Maharaj, um, you know, yeah, throwing definitely. a tantrum or throwing toys around, that's different. But I think um, when you, if it's a mum that's scared of coming to the Godwara because they're, they've been told off before, it's about thinking of creative ways. What can you do at the Godwara with your child mm. to help them kind of get used to it? For example, um, bringing in crayons and colouring sheets, stickers, anything that could keep them occupied sitting next to you. Um, and yeah, definitely starting from a young age to get the baby used to it, getting used to the kitchen in the background, getting used to um, having pushad at a certain time, you know, waiting, sitting nicely. Um, yeah. Hmm. I don't know if I answered your question or if I just no, it does. On. No, it does. It does. And I, I think <clears throat> I was talking to a dad about this um, uh, a couple of weeks ago. And he, we were sitting in the Gurdwara and he had his kids who are pr- probably a little bit older than mine. But um, he was saying it's hard for kids, you know, we expect them to just sit there. And, you know, they might not understand that much, but we expect them to sit for prolonged periods of time and, and just behave. And yeah. it's, it's difficult for kids to have that kind of attention span. Um, yeah. And as a parent, you do feel the pressure because 
you know, you want your kids to behave, obviously, especially in, in certain places like the Gurdwara, you want them to be respectful, but they, 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 they do have a limited attention span. They do not have the best reasoning skills um, and, and stuff. So, and what's the alternative? The alternative yeah. is you don't take them until they're six years old. I mean, that, that doesn't seem like a great alternative either. Um, so with, with your consultation, sorry. Can I just say something before we move on? And I think part of um, the whole kind of Godwara aspect is what do we do at home with our children? And I noticed this a lot in lockdown. And um, I remember being super upset when um, we weren't allowed to have any Vasaki celebrations at the Godwara. And it was like, well, their thing was um, four and then Aziz was two. And it's just they're at an age where I want to tell them about Guru Gobind Singh and I want to show them and we want to be part of the celebrations. But actually, um, it ended up being such a lovely Vasaki at home with Maharaji at home. Um, we did a lot of, we pretended <laughs> our living room was a Gurdwara and we had the white chadra out. Um, we made prashad together. Mum made prashad with the kids together and um, they got to wear their bani. Aziz had her new suit on and it was just really connecting them to Guruji and really telling them the Saki. And it actually, it was like a bit of an eye opener thinking actually we would have been rushing getting to the Gurdwara on time. We would have, um, you know, it just would have been a bit more stressful experience mm. um, and I think the more we can do this type of thing at home with our children whether it's um, putting the white jadara and pretending you're at the Godwara and do some type of a role play that's what we did that day actually the kids loved it my husband was a bit uh, <laughs> but the kids loved it um, you know and it kind of helped them connect back to remembering what we used to do at the Godwara um, and if we can do that now or on sometimes what I did with mine actually in the car on the way to the Godwara is can anyone remember, or can anyone remind mummy what we do when we first get to the Godwara and it's taking the shoes off. They love this routine. They love the kind of patterns that we do. They know once they do Matadik nicely and we walk around Maharajji, if we sit down for a little while, we'll get Prashad and it's reminding them and getting them excited of what's to come. Um, and for kids, actually, a lot of the time it's they want reassurance or they want to know what's coming rather than it being... Um, kind of suddenly dawned on them that you have to sit here now for one full hour. But if you can explain to them at home or in the car, we're going to sit at the Gurdwara, it's going to be quite long, your legs might get tired, um, maybe you want to stand up for a little bit to stretch them, maybe you want to change your legs the way you're sitting. And Again, it depends on how old they are <laughs> and if they can understand that and expect, but we can't expect a two-year-old, for example, to sit for the full hour. So how prepared can we be? Can we take a quiet toy? Can we take the stickers? Can we um, take them to a longer hall for 10 minutes and then come back out. Can we have the dad, let's say, taking the kids for the first half hour and then us sitting down for half an hour um, while they're outside? And I think it, it is, it's a lot of pressure on us. <laughs> but really, we just have to think of different ways, what works for us, um, what works with a little one, um, before we just go straight into the divan, let's say. <laughs> okay. um, <clears throat> so slightly personal question next. I... I Darshika wanted a third child at one point and um, she was adamant she wanted a third child and I, I, I was adamant I didn't and I was looking at the research on it and they said the stress levels peak at a third child and after that it just you get I, you get into a rhythm so if you have a fourth fifth and sixth it's not as hard as having a third so what what made you want to have a um, third child because you don't have much of a gap two, two years in between each child yeah, we've got a very short gap. Um, so we, I guess I've always wanted three children, actually. Um, and I'm so lucky I've got my three children. 
Um, I I slightly actually changed my mind when Aziz Core was born. Um, I think after six months, it was just so difficult. The transition from one to two it's was crazy, such a it? shock to me. It was just, yeah, um, I'm not even going to say it was easy. It was so difficult. And, and I just remember being quite open with my sisters about how how difficult, they I saying was just, he's such a sweetest boy. The only naughty thing he did was pick his nose, right? Literally, he was such a sweet boy. And then the next minute, all this jealousy he had of his little sister. And I thought, because we knew she was going to be a girl. And um, I thought that he was just going to have this immense love for her. And don't get me wrong, we did see him being a very loving big brother, but there were times that he was not nice. And I guess kind of being a mum and seeing your child not be nice to your other child and thinking that you've done something wrong or I didn't prep him enough. And I I thought, well, I did prep him. I proper prepped him. (laughs) And you can do anything you want, but when you have a second or a third or a fourth child um, coming into the family, you, you can't expect your baby or your child to just get used to it. You know, they're used to the attention. They're not used to having someone else there that's as important as they are, or if not, (laughs) even more important. And for me, it was a big learning curve, just thinking, actually, it's not jealousy. It's just learning. It's kind of like grieving, actually, (laughs) because they're not, you're not only their mum anymore. And it's letting go of mummy is being mine. So it's sometimes, again, it comes down to the pressure on the mum and dad, just release that pressure that you have to make your older child like your younger child, it's going to be Mm. up and down. And I guess you just have to be there showing your older child that you still love them as much as you did before, or if not more. And um, it takes, it does take time. And I guess the transition, yeah, it was hard, especially for for the third one as well. I guess I was a bit more knowing that it wasn't going to be as smooth and I wasn't going to know everything. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's, it's hard, <laughs> uh, but it doesn't mean it doesn't mean you shouldn't go for it. You know, um, it's definitely worth it. I mean, there's there's a group of um, and they and a sahib wore they wore their kurti pajama and they both had the yellow patke on and they were just they were so happy. And sahib, my youngest, just kept saying their baji photo, their baji photo, and I've got so many beautiful pictures of them just hugging and they were standing doing fatin and it's just like. For these moments, it's so worth it when you fight. Yeah, it's really sweet. Um, and there are things at an age where today, actually, tonight, he was reading the Matapag core book to Sahib. Bless him. Some of the words were really hard, but I didn't tell him to read that book. So they must have just picked it up himself. And it's just, it's so nice. You know, it's, these are the kind of moments that I try and record and remind myself when they're having their tantrum or when they're fighting, I think back to, okay, so this is a moment I just need to keep myself calm. <laughs> deal with them and then, um, I guess, help them deal with whatever it is that they're going for, that it's okay that you are fighting. Um, let's look at, um, <clears throat> I'm kind of going into how to look into sibling when they're fighting, how to deal with that. Do you want me to go into that a little bit? More than one child is Although we have these lovely moments, a lot of the time you're trying to get them to share a toy or getting them to stop fighting over the most littlest thing it could be. It comes down to, um, now I might be talking about it, it doesn't mean I follow it all the time. I definitely do not. I mean, I do lose my calm quite often. And 
it's about telling them what they are saying and Aziz, they're old enough to understand that actually it's okay to be sad that Sahib's taking your toy. It's completely okay to feel angry that he's taking your toy, but it's not okay to hit back. It's not okay to um, scream. It's not okay to have a tantrum. Um, but emphasizing that it's okay to have feelings and it goes the same for mums and dads that are feeling overwhelmed with parenting. It's completely okay <laughs> to feeling sad, angry, really depressed. Um, I mean, you'll know this as well, actually, quite a lot. And it's just about highlighting that to our children. Um, no matter how young they are, it's okay for them to feel however they're feeling. Um, but mm. with a four-year-old or even a three-year-old, you can start telling them, um, instead of doing this, can we use our hands to show them what you want? Can you use your mouth and your words to um, help Sahib, who's only two years old, understand why it is that you want your toy back or why he can't play with it it's your homework <laughs> that's the hardest part actually is homework trying to get homework done for a four and a six-year-old when there's a two-year-old in the mix mm. <laughs> trying to get their pen and paper <laughs> ripping it apart yeah these are all challenges um i guess adversity these makes are, you grow and yeah. makes you makes you stronger and, and as a family as well <laughs> there's a couple of things that came to mind when you were speaking there one was a friend told me after we had our second that having a child is like having a pet, like a pet dog. And then having two children is like living in a zoo. And um, <laughs> I, I wish that you told me that earlier. Um, probably would have still done it, but anyway. Um, so I don't know what three might be like, but... But... Um, yeah. Are both... Are your two eldest in school? Yeah, so Sahib... Um, yeah, Asis and Thea are at school. Yeah. So how do that you kind of do? Easy. Yeah. Yeah. How do you do your self care in terms of making sure you get enough rest because you got business and you got kids. <laughs> got. I think I talked a lot about this actually um, to myself and my husband. I think when it comes to self care, a lot of the time, especially when Assis was at home. So when I was doing my studying for my sleep coaching, Assis was at home. Um, I started in lockdown actually, so they were all at home. And actually, on that point. Um, a lot of mums would say, oh my goodness, you're so amazing for studying um, while you're homeschooling. And I was only homeschooling there at that point. And I just remember saying to them, actually, if I was not studying at night time, I think I would have been a complete crazy mess. Like I needed that for me, that was my self-care was I'm taking time out. I wasn't working at that point. I'm taking time out for my own learning, for my development. I'm getting my brain working on something that's other than adding <laughs> when I was doing his homework. Um, uh, nappy changing and just stopping the fighting I needed that for me that was just such a big um it was just yeah it totally saved my sanity during lockdown actually um and I think a lot of the time the pressure is to have a full-on spa day going out for dinner that that just doesn't make that actually stresses me out it's just not me <laughs> so mm -hmm. it was I guess looking inside what is it that I like doing um <clears throat> and I think over lockdown is when I because I was missing Sunkid so much um I started thinking a lot more about what was my self-care and it came down to that um, everyone's different but for me it was I totally lost track of my kids and, and it wasn't just the lockdown but it was um, knowing that even I'm not even listening to Keithin anymore like even on my um, when I wasn't working so I wasn't having it on the background or in the car I wasn't putting it on I was kind of trying to speak to the kids and it was about bringing that back and just even if I was doing one shop with here or there that was for me, that was my self-care, that was my connection um, to Guruji because I'm so bad at doing my part, <laughs> you know, so I've totally, I've, I've lost that part of me 
and I think a lot of the mums feel the same. But again, like I know Benji, um, Darshan Benji, your wife is doing that simmering on a Thursday evening, which I know more every mum needs to know about that because sometimes it's just if something's there in the diary, you're more likely to kind of sit down and do it, think about yourself, and once you kind of get back into it, then you start realizing what is my self care? Is it is it only the um, but what is it that you're doing at the moment? For me, it's not. It's not going. It's out not the big extravagant things. It's the. I get. I get. Yeah, it doesn't need to be that. And also, sometimes it's just making sure you're having your shower in the morning. You're wearing clean clothes. You are um, having that time to chat things through, track the week, chat the week through, whether it's with your husband, whether it's with your sisters, um, and it's, it doesn't need to be anything huge, <laughs> you know, or time consuming. It's. Um, for me, sometimes I started doing this breathing um, every every few hours during the day, even if I wasn't stressed out, just to be like, okay, I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed. Before I get stressed out, what can I do to calm myself down? Um, but for me, yeah, with self-care, it was just thinking about um, what it was that was connecting myself to Guruji. But also um, during lockdown, I was just, I felt so lost. Like, what do I need to do for myself? And luckily, I was very lucky in just um, finding the course that was right for me um just get my head back mm. into it that's amazing and Sorry, this personally just... i think <laughs> it's, i think, it's COVID. I think it's self now, so it's... yeah sorry am i sticking <laughs> am i sticking no no, no. <clears throat> you're doing great yeah i think Learning is a great way to feel like you're growing and developing and not stagnating in, in life. Um, I had a question regarding your process. When, when a parent contacts you for a consultation and wants to get coaching, and a lot of people I, I know now um, are doing that, and I definitely recommend they check out, check out your Instagram page and your website. Um, but what's the process? Yeah, so the process is um, you would, if you're having any type of sleep issues, we would have, um, first of all, a 15 minute consultation. And there's a few reasons for this 15 minute consultation. One is, of course, to make sure that, um, that I'm the kind of right fit for the mum. Secondly, to make sure that um, the, <coughs> the mum is not, um, so let's say if a baby's waking up every hour um, or every 30, 40 minutes, I want to make sure in that. 15, 20 minutes that there's not an underlying issue that's causing the child to wake up, whether it's um, eczema, whether it's um, an underlying health condition, whether it's um, an allergy. I want to make sure that I wouldn't take a mum on if I think it might be allergy. I would say, like, I think you should get this checked out first. There's no point work working on sleep when you know it's a completely different issue that's making um, the little one wake up. The sleep um, but yeah. also, more importantly, sometimes mums don't need my support. Um, a lot of the times mum would say to me, um, I'm feeding my child to sleep. He doesn't sleep any other way, um, but I really need to get him to sleep by himself. And I would say, okay, so is this because you're struggling? Is this because you're going back to work? Is this because you want your little one to now sleep in their own room um, if they're over six months? And sometimes the mum say, oh no, because it's, they're never going to learn how to sleep on their own or um, it's just such a bad habit. It's not a bad habit. You're doing completely fine, mm -hmm. unless it's affecting you mentally or um, there's a medical reason why you need to stop breastfeeding. Then actually, you can continue doing something that's biologically normal 
and um, really nice and bonding for you. You don't need to stop. And it's outside pressure that's making some mums feel as if they have to stop rocking to sleep or um, anything mm. else. And I would just say to the mum, you really don't need my help. If you go away and you think about it and actually maybe you want to learn some tips on um, how to gently move away from breastfeeding or walking to sleep, then that's fine. But actually the bottom line is if you're coping okay and you're happy, you don't need to. So, <laughs> you know, before fully going on to a consultation. So anyway, and then um, I would drop them on an email confirming um, the packages. I've got various packages. I've got a one-off troubleshoot call. I've got a package where um, I would have a full insight into the child sleeping. Um, their day sleep, their day sleep, their night sleep, what kind of goes on in their day. Um, once I've analysed it, we'd have um, a one-hour consultation, looking at all the solutions. What can we do to help you? Whatever it is a mum wants to do, and whether it's hourly wakings, whether it's waking up um, three times a night. Now, waking up three times a night is completely normal for um, younger babies. If it's um, a two, a three-year-old. Um, and if it's not bothering the mum, that's okay. Continue. You don't need my support. But if it's if it's for whatever reason is bothering, it's disturbing your sleep too much. It's disturbing another sibling. Then of course um, we would kind of work to um, limit those wakings without doing any of the sleep training. Um, mm. And you would have um, weekly catch-up calls. Um, you'd have support, um, email support, WhatsApp support um, in between to kind of get to their sleep goals. Now. That's There's, um, sorry. That's brilliant. Sounds yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. I wish we had utilised it. <laughs> I really try and say to my mums, um, first and foremost, that even though we've discussed um, a sleep plan, so I'd write a sleep plan out, whatever we've discussed and whatever the kind of next actions are, I'd write, write it out for the mums so they've, they've got that to refer back to over the coming weeks. Um, but I also say to the mums that I am the expert on sleep. I will never be the expert on your child. And that's really important because although I might suggest a technique that's worked for three or four families that I've worked with in this month or this week, um, it might not work for this mum. And I say to the mum, it's okay for you to tell me if something isn't working for you. That doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with your little one. It just means this particular method is not right for you. Let's try something different. Um, so there's like unlimited, um, they can change what they, the sleep plan or the methods, because I'm not going to say, well, it's you, that you must be doing something wrong, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And sometimes, um, whether they're teething or they're ill, I do sometimes like to put a pause on any change. I think it's very unfair for the little one to have mm -hmm. to change something in their routine when they're unwell and they need that mm -hmm. extra comfort. So I do try and encourage parents, if your child is ill, if your child is going through a development phase, um, to give them that support and the comfort without feeling that you're going to create a bad habit. Now, for some babies, yeah, they might want that for a little bit longer. And then we have to kind of do a few okay. techniques to kind of move back to where you were. But the majority of the time, they do go back to sleeping um, how they were before the illness. So this is why it's so important to not get more stressed. Because when you're ill, it's... The whole house is upside down, isn't it, when a child or when a parent is ill. So it's about mm. doing the most easiest thing that you need to do to get your child back to sleep without feeling the pressure of um, creating a bad habit. Mm. Um, do you, what <laughs> books do you recommend? It doesn't, they don't have to be on the topic oh, of, uh, yes. of um, sleep, but I, 
I'm, I'm an avid reader and I'd like to ask my guests about the books that they read. Yeah, so um, one of... If you could only recommend one or two. Okay, so um, first and foremost, definitely Lindsay Hookway, um, My Family Sleep. It is just, it's just such an empowering book that looks at um, the biology of the child, the instinct of the mother, um, and just it just busts all the sleep myths out there. It's just, it's nothing like do this, like you were saying about the strict routines, the sleeping seven to seven, and it's just, yeah, it's mind blowing. Definitely that one. My second one would probably be um, Gary Chapman, the Love Languages book, simply because it's it's so it's such an eye opener when you read it as a parent and you um, read it thinking of your child and your child's love language. A lot of the time, if a child is asking for comfort um, and if their love language is touch and they want a hug and we say no, we've given you so many hugs today and we reject we reject it and it makes you feel it just kind of I opens your eyes to actually I can't say no to their love language this is their way of connecting with me and it's our job first and foremost as mums and dads is to provide that comfort for our children and again it's the pressure that we shouldn't be hugging them we shouldn't be um, comforting mm -hmm. them when they cry or we should expect them to get up after the fall and be <laughs> be fine but actually we can withhold that comfort from them can we and it's mm. yeah it's definitely a book that i recommend Moms and Dads. awesome and um where can people get in touch with you how can they connect um you? instagram jazz underscore sleep coach and um, my website www.jazz-core.com awesome that was really that was a really good um chat and i learned a lot from it and i could i could probably talk to you for hours because there's so many things that i could you know we could yeah. talk about conflict with siblings we could talk about the what's the correct way to discipline them like you know educate them there's so many different topics that i think um, parents um, need help on so hopefully you'll come back on a future podcast <laughs>